0: My name is John Sylvester. I'm a reporter with the Age AH newspaper. Some people call me Sly of the Underworld. There are eight million crime stories in the naked city, and this is one of them. Tony and Michelle, it's been a, a long journey. Of all the people we've interviewed, Tony and Michelle Curry are among our favourites. What I love about uh, year two is you've kept a, a sense of fun, considering, you know, it's been some pretty interesting and tough times. Tony was in the Special Operations Group for more than 10 years, and Michelle, his wife, was his loyal wingman. When the SOG boys, and it was exclusively male, went out on the tear with their partners, they were expected to be armed at all times, which meant their guns were deposited in the WAG's handbags. Michelle reckons you could hear the clatter in the woman's bathroom when they all deposit their handbags on the floor, heavy with shooters. But this is not just a story of rollicking good times, but the cost of living on the edge, and a couple determined to pay it forward. Don't worry, when we get serious, there'll be some mood music, so you know. They met in a Melbourne nightclub, which was not unusual for the time. What was a tad strange was they weren't the usual clientele at this particular establishment. It was Casey's nightclub in Hawthorne that specialised in the over-28 and over-35 market, leaving it with an unusual nickname by younger clubbers.
1: We actually met in a nightclub in Hawthorne that was uh, called Grabber Grannies, and it was called that because most people were over 30, and uh, that's where we met. Uh, I was 19 and Tony was 21.
2: Yeah, we did both wonder at one stage what we were both doing then,
0: <laughs> being the youngest in the crowd. She says he lied from the beginning, he said he was a carpenter, but Michelle was a chippy's daughter and knew more about it than he did. In fact, Tony was a promising boxer who'd just had a bout at the Braidbrook Hotel and stopped for a celebratory drink with mates. He'd already applied to join the police force and walked into the academy a few months later. I was uh, one of
2: those guys. I was after, uh, you know, a bit of a challenge and uh, loved the idea of that exciting life in policing. It seemed at the time to be the the
0: dream job, so, yeah. Late in 2022, the couple went back to that academy to receive the Citizen's Commendation, the highest civilian honour that can be awarded by the police force. It was presented by the Chief Commissioner, Shane Patton. For those who knew Kid Curry... They fully expected if he was going to get paperwork from a chief commissioner, it would have been to demand his resignation, but more of that later. After Tony left the job, he and Michelle built a very successful business that they sold for a lot of money. And for years now, they've been investing some of that money, time and passion in presenting seminars and conferences and organising small gatherings for cops and their partners designed to turn victims into survivors. The critical incident seminars involve police, who have survived dealing with death and who share their battles to recover from the trauma. In the world of policing, talking the talk is never enough, but when you've walked the streets, donned the uniform or lived with the consequences at home, then you have the right to speak and be heard. For those who knew Kid Curry when he was in the job, they would have bet there was a time when he was more likely to be drummed out of the job by a Chief Commissioner than presented with an award by one. His tendency to test the rules began early. In the strictly live-in course, he would scale the perimeter fence and race off with Michelle. I had um, a new girlfriend and, um,
2: you know, Judy called. I, I thought that I should spend a little bit more time with her. So, at times, I I sought leave to, uh, to go and meet her outside the fence and... Um, Generally I would jump the fence at a great rate of knots and scamper off into and meet her down the road, jump in her car and we'd take off and then I'd uh, return in the early hours of the morning. He was convinced he had them fooled, but some of the instructors just turned a blind eye. One of the law instructors, um, when I introduced him to Michelle, he said, yes, I've only ever seen Michelle from a distance uh, when you jump the fence and met her down the road and uh, so all that time they knew but they turned to a and die which
0: I was very um, lucky that they did. An instinctively brave and practical cop, he admits he was hopeless at paperwork which is why Michelle, a savvy law clerk, buffed and polished many of his assignments. Tony was blasé that he didn't get top marks but Michelle was really annoyed because it was her work.
1: When we got our assignments back, if it wasn't uh, at, at a mark that I thought was uh, warranted, I used to get a little bit upset, yes, and you think it was very unfair.
0: They talk about the good days, they talk about the fun. But Michelle says 10 years in the SOG gradually drained the life out of him. She said, my father said for 10 years he didn't know Tony could smile. There are police who can have a career without seeing an offender with a firearm. From the time Curry marched out of the academy, trouble seemed to be looking for him. Later in his career, Tony went looking for trouble. Within weeks of graduating, a man pulled a knife on him. Within months, a troubled Vietnam veteran lured police to his house and pulled a gun in a planned suicide by a cop. I turned to walk into the driveway
2: and behind a brick wall, uh, an offender was uh,
0: hiding. Curry drew his service revolver,
2: and he stepped out from behind that wall and put a gun uh, on my head. He then requested that I hand over my gun. Uh, he said he'd been in the uh, been to Vietnam. He'd seen all this action. He Made the comment that I was just a kid. A couple of the guys next to me didn't have their uh, weapons drawn. He then put the weapon on the guy next to me. He asked for his firearm at which time he handed over his firearm. We were later to find out that the first firearm that he had uh, was an imitation firearm. So the end result could have been that I'd shot him then and there, and all he had was imitation firearm. But now he had a policeman's revolver and was ready to do business. We backed off, he walked back inside. Uh, I went around the side of the house and Um, He started letting fly with some shots. The special operations group were called. We were in a Mexican standoff, he says. Negotiations went on for a number of hours. He was later um, called out from the house. He came out and pulled a weapon on one of the special operations group guys, um, at which time he was shot um, when he pointed the firearm at one of them. Um, he survived that, uh, that incident and uh, he then went on to do a number of um, similar um, calls to the police force where he, um, he drew the police into him to try and um, get them to kill him.
0: Soon Curry joined the SAG. The World Boxer was at the time the lightest and smallest to be accepted, but he soon built a reputation as one of the toughest. It's a physically and mentally
2: uh, draining uh, course. It, it's run over a three-month period. The selection process is over six months. 66 people applied for the course that I was in, in uh, 86. Six of us completed the course. Uh, within a short period of time, there was five us. So looking at
0: about 8% of people that apply get through. If policing is seen as a brotherhood, the SOG was almost a cult. According to Michelle, they were as insular as the Mafia. They worked together, they had their social trips, they went to the movies and they even had their haircuts together. It was like going to work with a footy team every day and all uh, fantastic mates. Curry became so obsessed, he began to sleep in the office so he wouldn't miss a job.
2: If you missed a job, there'd be tears the next day. It was just, uh, you know, like people, people you know... In talking through it, it it sounds unrealistic, but it was just the way of life at that time.
0: He spent 10 of his 12 years as a policeman in the SOG, was involved in six shootings, shot one offender dead and badly wounded another. The shooting happened just before five o'clock outside the flats in Walsh Street, South Yarra. Neighbours say they heard between four and six shots one of the constables was found inside the car, the other on the road beside it. They were rushed to hospital but died a short time later. Both had been shot in the head. In November 1988, the SOG went to arrest Jed Horton, a suspect in the Wall Street murders of Constables Stephen Tynan and Damien Eyre.
2: Horton had gone to Bendigo in early November and we were asked to attend and assist the Tire Task Force in i think the first week of november and we we thought we were going to assist with the uh, the apprehension of horton and we were flown to bendigo on the with the police airwing when we uh, landed at bendigo we were met by a tire task force and uh, briefed on uh, his whereabouts which was at a uh, local caravan park we are giving uh, diagrams of uh, in the layout of the uh, cabin that he was staying in, and we were conveyed to the um, caravan park by some of the t- detectives there. You were part of the raiding party. It's a uh, said matter of public record that he was shot. Uh, yeah, it's uh, a matter of public record that uh, I was part of that raiding party, and um, and he was shot in uh, at, 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 as a result of that raid. And you, you fired one of those shots. You and Paul Carr with the two who fired the yep. fatal shot. Yeah, when, when I entered the uh, when I entered the cabin that he was staying in, I became aware that there was a male person on my left hand side.
0: Um, he was raising a firearm. When Horton pointed a handgun at the police, Curry and Paul Poscar fired, killing him instantly.
2: And uh, we'd called upon him to uh, drop his weapon a number of times and um, fired instinctively. He, was, he received gunshot wounds to the upper, um, um, upper chest region of his body.
0: To have shot dead a suspected double cop killer gave Curry and Carr, who would die 15 years later climbing a mountain in the Himalayas, raising money for the Make-A-Wish Foundation, gave them celebrity status within policing. But behind closed doors it was different. Curry says he couldn't sleep and he couldn't get it out of his head. There were night sweats and broken sleep. No matter how busy I was during the day at night, the images inside that Bendigo caravan would come back. He became distant. He was hyper alert and he was always on guard. So why did Michelle stick with him? She says there was always a glimmer of what he'd been that was still there. The upside of subscribing to the age or the Sydney Morning Herald is it's like fairy dust to the newsroom. The downside is that every new subscriber brings an editor out to stand on a table and do a little jig, and none of them can dance. We talked to Tony for Terry Carline's ABC documentary Trigger Point, but after the interview Tony had second thoughts. And so, this is the first time some of those interviews have been heard.
2: Uh, a few months later I was involved in a, in a shooting uh, at Narbithal. There was a drug plantation found.
0: An anonymous telephone tip led police to the discovery of the massive crop. For more than a week, heavily armed members of the elite special operations group have kept the two-acre plot in the middle of a state forest under surveillance. This morning, their patience paid off.
2: At the time, I was, I was armed with a uh, M16 machine gun and I had two other uh, guys with me. There was four offenders uh, moved into the um, plantation and we followed them for a while and we realised that they, they were taking ownership of the, of the plantation and it was theirs. And so we set up a, an area where we were going to um, try to capture all four at the same time despite the fact that we were a little outnumbered we thought that we had the upper hand with surprise and weaponry and that type of thing what ended up happening is uh only one of them came back to where we were positioned and um as he came into where i was and approached me he pulled up a firearm at head height and then i called on him to uh, drop his weapon and then shot him instantly and um when we moved forward and we we rolled him over. He had six exit wounds out, his, out, the, out of his back. And we thought, well, he's, um, you know, we thought, well, there's no way he's, he's going to live from that. And then he stopped making noise, and we thought he was dead. But we were still mindful of the fact that there was the other offenders out there in the bush. And so we went to take off after the other offenders, and then the guy, he came back to life at that point. And um, he uh, made a sound and then we ended up, we had to stay with him for a period of time. And then uh, he went unconscious again and we thought he passed away. And uh, again, he just kept on coming uh, back. But anyway, we ended up, uh, we couldn't capture the other three offenders. And we had to look after the the guy that was wounded. I ended up uh, leaving that position and heading up to, um, it was a couple of k's away. I had to meet the ambulance and then uh, walk them back in through through the forest area. Uh, and then I think we ended up winching him out of that uh, position and they took him off to hospital. And the other guys were caught uh, boarding a plane in uh, a telemarine, I think, early that next, uh, next morning. So, um, And the bloke survived. He survived for uh, a couple of years at least. He was, uh, I was told that uh, a couple of years later, off, uh, one of the guys on the job, that he ended up passing away as a result of the injuries.
0: After a second shooting, it became clear there couldn't be a third. If there was, he'd be out of the SOG.
2: Yeah, they definitely lost their sense of humour at that point of time and... Um, there was no doubt at all if there was one more shooting um, that would be curtains as far as my, uh, you know, there wouldn't be a great career move and that, um, you know, I'd, I'd probably moved on from the SAG at that time and um, I don't think many people at that time or probably even still had had two shootings, been involved in two shootings in such a short period of time and, you know, to have... Two, two months apart, it probably brought on a bit of stress and um, uh, probably not just for me, but probably for my bosses at the time. And, uh, yeah, it probably wasn't uh, ideal that I stay there.
0: Seeing the writing on the wall, in 1996 he resigned. It's fair to say Michelle and many in the police hierarchy were relieved. Rather than regrets, it was like a weight being lifted off his shoulders. They built a very successful window-glazing business and were bought out for a lucrative sum. They retired in 2011. Three years later, Tony's good mate, former armed robbery detective Mark Wiley, took his own life. Wiley had been shot and wounded in 1986 during an arrest on a Russell Street bombing suspect.
2: In 2014, a friend of mine committed suicide and uh, he was a good friend, but he was, you know, he'd been shot on a on a job up in Callista and um, he fought and fought to, to live through that incident and he was close to death on a number of occasions in that first week after the shooting. You know, and to think that he he fought to live in that time, but then life got too hard for him down the track and he he ended up taking his own life and um, he just could never mentally move on from the point where where he was um, so badly injured. And there was another suicide shortly after that, a young lady in the southeastern region and uh, who I didn't know.
0: Tony and Michelle decided to use their own experience to reach out to police and families that were suffering similar pressure after critical incidents, after
2: those two suicides, I wrote to uh, Graham Ashton and, and Wayne then uh, then Chief Commissioner. Head. So I I made contact with them and asked them if you wouldn't mind if I facilitated a you know a gathering of a number of stakeholders that uh, you know frontline people and get everyone in the in the same room to see how we could best support those who were
0: going through a bit of hardship as a result of the job that they had been doing. The first forum was in 2015 and they've been holding them ever since. Tony enlists mm-hmm. a small group of police that have been involved in photo shootings and they reach out to present police involved in similar incidents.
2: And I'll just talk through, you know, like this is what you may expect to happen, you know, you might have sleepless nights with the images of the event and you you know cold sweats and if you're not sleeping well you may not be eating well and you may not be exercising anymore and you might find you have a short fuse and you know you need to work through that if that if you find that that's happening to you and everybody that I've ever spoken to has said I thought I was the only
0: one that was going through that They talk of the images, the broken sleep, the mood swings, but also that there is a way back. Usually the new members of that dreadful club are just relieved to know their feelings are shared.
1: The change in people, in some of the people that that, um, have been involved, are incredible. These people that, you know, started going to the forums that were very, very damaged um, in relationships that were, you know, rocky, um, that are now mentoring other people. The satisfaction that they get from that and people who I've seen looking really sort of aged and unwell and unhappy, next time I've seen them and they look so much better and they're sleeping better and, you know, they've got their relationships back on track. It's, it's wonderful.
0: Even though he's long out of the job, Tony Curry is putting back in. What he and Michelle are doing is really resurrecting the careers of some police, helping retired police... And in all probability, saving the lives of some who might ultimately take theirs. They are doing a power of good. Well done Kid Curry, well done Michelle. Naked City is going to be taking a short break for a couple of weeks because our production staff is so overworked they've had to take time off and go to a health farm somewhere in rural Victoria. We wish them well. But don't worry, we'll be back in harness for the rest of the season in just a couple of weeks. Pleasant dreams. This episode is produced by David McMillan, mixed by Cormac Lally. David McMillan is the head of podcasting. He's been very busy. And
1: archives, thanks to Nine.
0: I'm John Sylvester. Thanks for listening.